Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. In a time when more and more people seem confused about end times events, it is important that we always, always get our answers from the scriptures. And on today's episode, we are actually going to be examining popular teachers and their viewpoints and arguments concerning the rapture of the church and when that rapture will take place. So to discuss that with me is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise the Lord, bro. I'm excited about uh, digging into the scriptures on this subject because it is a area where so much of the church is incredibly deceived. And there's a lot greater repercussions coming as a result of what we believe is a very big deception uh, for many professing believers than people realize. And we'll get into that. We're going to see exactly why that is. No, and this is beyond important for the times we live in uh, and, and for our readiness as the body of Christ. And when it comes to the position, all of the men you're going to hear from uh, that will be playing clicks from, all of them believe in what is known as the pre-millennial position in terms of the millennium, that the millennium is actually, Revelation chapter 20 is literal, just as we believe as well. And that's an important topic, and we're going to be discussing that in episodes coming up where we talk about the preterist position, the all-mill position, you know, the post-mill position, and, and so forth, because really eschatology, I would say, starts kind of at the millennium. Would you would would you agree with that? Yeah, that's that's a huge huge. But it, the second coming obviously is 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 central to uh, you know our faith, and when we look at statements of faith, uh, yeah, I haven't seen a statement of faith unless it's some submerging or emergent church out there that doesn't have the second coming of Christ. And you start messing with that, start breaking it in pieces and saying this happens way over here, this part of the second coming, but this is, you know, it's still a second coming. It gets it gets uh, really sketchy. And then when you start tying your hopes to a new version of the second coming that nobody had heard of for 1,800 years, and then you say if it doesn't happen exactly how this newfangled uh, version says it will happen, then Christ is evil, Jesus, is, you know, God is bad, it's the last of hope. People are being set up for fall, so that's really huge. And in case you're a newer believer, uh, a new to our channel, what we're discussing is the pre-trib rapture, and just to, you know, sometimes it sounds like we're talking in code, but the, the Bible talks about this seven-year period called the 70th week of Daniel. And with our pre-trib brethren, and this is an in-house debate, as Chad just alluded to, our, 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 we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't believe if you believe in a pre-trib rapture, uh, you, you know, you, you forfeit your salvation. But we do believe it's, the second coming is a serious issue. Uh, so we believe that 70th week of Daniel, we have a lot in harmony with our, our pre-trib brothers. We believe... Uh, that Christ is coming back visibly. We just don't believe in a secret extra coming, a second and a third coming. We believe in the second coming. We do agree with them that there's a thousand-year reign of Christ. We believe that God is not done with Israel, and we do believe in 1948 the regathering of Israel has actually begun to fulfill prophecy. So there's a lot of similarities. Uh, they're very orthodox in a lot of those other views uh, with regard to what we call, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into all the minutia, but I want you to understand if you're new, that seven-year period, Pre-tribs believe that that last seven years that Jesus talks about uh, and the last three and a half years, that great tribulation period, 
that the church has taken away, it's whisked away in a rapture, and we don't have to go through that time and face that trial, and that we, the evangelism that we're called to do is no longer uh, a mandate, a commission for us, and so forth, as the church, because we're off the planet. So it's important to understand the context. We believe that Jesus had taught from the very beginning that he'd come at the end of the age, at the end of that seven-year period, and that's when the rapture would take place. They weren't separate events in Jesus' teaching, nor were they separate events in the Apostle Paul's teaching, John's, Peter's, and so forth. No, amen. And more than an affirmative teaching on the post-tribulation rapture, which is what we hold to here, and we'll have those on other episodes. And you guys can check that out on Blessed Hope Chapel. We have a number of teachings on the book of Revelation. We have a number of teachings on the rapture. We also have it here on this channel as well, the great pre-trib rapture deception. You can check that out as well. That's right here on the Good Fight Ministries channel. And we also have a resource, uh, Left Behind or Led Astray, which deals with... That's an eye-popping video. Oh, yeah. Amen. And it deals specifically with the origins of this doctrine. Because as Joe mentioned, this is something that is Johnny-come-lately. This is a new, very new doctrine. Uh, I mean, it really is. So it's important that we dig in and say, okay, when something is new, we need to really dig up and see where do the origins come from. And because they're so recent, we should definitely keep our eyes and ears peeled to what's going on and what's being taught and the popularization of this teaching. I mean, these are these are some big teachers we're going to be dealing with tonight. We're going tonight. to be playing clips of these guys. So No, yeah, we're going to be playing yeah. clips so you guys can see it. And we're going to get into that first clip here in a second. But these are some of the people, and I know I've been walking on the streets, talking to people, sharing with people, um, specifically when we're dealing with end times events and people are seeing what's going on in our culture and they're like, yeah, I've been starting to not listening less. I had some multiple people tell me, I've been listening less to the, the teaching at our church, and I've been le- listening a lot to Jack Hibbs and what he's been saying and so forth with end times. Not at our fellowship, right? Not at our fellowship, praise, praise, the Lord. praise God. <laughs> but at, uh, for people that I've met, believers in the streets and so forth. So it is important that we touch this because multiple times we're warned of a deception in the end mm-hmm. times concerning Christ's coming. So when he is warning us about a deception, we need to make sure. And he's saying, also hanging out with the NAR people. Oh well, yeah, that too. Information, folks, which is <laughs> dominionism. Yep, and so we want to be really careful uh, when it comes to these things, especially when we're talking about the second coming of Christ, the helmet of salvation, and so forth. So we're going to be going over right now. Billy Crone is somebody who has grown in popularity over the years. He spends a lot of time on Jan Markell's show, which gets him. A lot of ears that people are listening. Uh, he's based out in Las Vegas, and he's done a number of things on the pre-trib rapture. And here is a just a short clip, Joe, of him talking. And you know what? I like to, I'm, I'm hopefully coining a phrase, eschatological gaslighting that seems to be going on. And you're going to hear that a couple of times here. But I want to hear this first reference of him kind of practicing that. Why would he say encourage? Why would Jesus say don't let your hearts be troubled if we were even in there for a nanosecond? We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. So, so Joe, there's a couple things there, but these are quips that are very common. These are maxims that are really common. And there is some conflation going on as well in that text. So, so Joe, a couple of things there. These encourage one another with these words and so forth. And also that him talking about we're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking... For Christ. These sound like really good quips on the surface, but what should we be gathering from what he's saying there? Well, <laughs> uh, with that particular clip, it's just he's making an allusion to 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 18, uh, where Paul talks about how we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Talks about how the Lord will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain, we caught up to meet them in the air. We call that the rapture. Some say, oh, the word rapture isn't actually in the Bible. Uh, we might even get some. We have great uh, a great audience, but 
we have people, you know, from all over the place, and you probably get, we probably get someone that'll say, well, the word rapture is never used in the Bible. The rapture is not even taught in the Bible. Well, the word rapture is not used in the Bible, but the word harpazo is used. And that's the word Paul used in 1 Thessalonians chapper 4, 13 through 18, where the believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air at his coming. The Lord will descend. We're not caught up and brought, you know, we don't get caught up into heaven. He, Lord, descends. It's at his second coming. And he descends with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And we're, the dead in Christ are, you know, caught up first and or raised first. Then we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The word caught up is, uh, is, is translated from the Greek word harpazo. So if you don't want to use the word rapture, I don't have a hard time with the word rapture because we use the context of understanding of harpazo, caught up. So we believe strongly in that. But what he's doing there, Chad, is he is taking a passage which is actually encouraging people who've lost their loved ones in Christ that the dead in Christ will rise first and then we'll meet them in the air and to comfort one another with these words. So the, I think the title of Jan Markell's and the reason I thought we should even use this clip is to is encourage one another, right? That's the name of this, uh, her, her, her hour show or whatever. With, yes, she did with, with Billy Crone, yeah. So, and they're going off of that scripture and they're using it in a twisted kind of way as though we're supposed to be encouraging each other that, hey, guess what? Jesus is coming back in a preacher rapture, so we don't have to suffer persecution as the church and be afraid of the Antichrist and, 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 and go through that seven-year period of time. You know, so we don't have to face that. So we're supposed to encourage each other with the rapture because that means we get out of that last seven years. And he spends an awful lot of time in this episode showing how bad the tribulation will be to try to freak people out, scare them. Of course, you don't want to go through this. And he, the, 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 they keep, you know, enunciating the, the message that if, you, if, you, if you're saved, man, don't worry. Uh, there's going to be a preacher baptism. You won't have to go through it. So the idea, Chad, is that he's encouraging, or he's saying that when Paul's saying encourage one another, He's using that in a sense, in a way, that that's what the rapture is about, is we're supposed to encourage each other that we don't have to go through tribulation. When you know very well, because you're doing a funeral tomorrow, your grandpa's, uh, that passage is not about encouraging people about missing the rapture or missing the tribulation period. It's about encouraging one another that your dead ones, you're, you're, you're the dead in Christ, uh, will be raised first. And that when Jesus comes back, we caught up to meet him and them in the air. We'll have a family reunion with our loved ones and we're supposed to encourage one another with these words because he says we don't grieve in that in that passage as the world grieves. We grieve, but we grieve with hope because we have the blessed hope that we're going to see our family members again. So it's really heartbreaking because it's very deceptive. And I'm not saying he's trying to be deceptive, but if people buy into that, they're being deceived. Uh, they're being deceived and thinking, oh, you know what? Yeah, we're supposed to encourage one another that we're not going to have to face the tribulation period. Let's say anything about that in that passage. In fact, it says just the opposite. And we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because one thing I, I've seen actually, and and I think in all in all honesty, a lot of it could be a response to the re recent. A lot of people's eyes have been open. We have people right here in the comments that say, "Hey, I started studying and realized, you know what? It's not pre-trib. It's yeah. post-trib." You know, so many people have come to that realization, and I've heard, and and it almost went unchecked a lot with a lot of yeah. people, not at Blessed Hope Chapel. Um, but left, right, and led astray. When that came out, I, that ruffled some feathers. I mean, we had people cutting off the ministry, Jan Markell specifically, and many others cutting off this ministry that you believe differently than us. Therefore, you're gone. Even though we still call pre-tribs our brethren, uh, you were called a fool by her, by the way. Which yeah, get some to context in here. Yeah, sorry. Is, no, no. Just add to it is I was asked to be a frequent guest on contemporary culture. You know what times you know, things that are going on and. When we came out with that, I knew that Jan Markell would probably cut me off. And she has quite a platform out there. She's on a ton of stations, yeah. biggest prophecy concert, con, uh, 
uh, conference every, annually. And I knew it. I told I told uh, Tony, I think I told you as well, I think when this comes out, we're going to ruffle feathers for sure. But for me, it's not about being on these popular platforms where people are being told what they want to hear often. You know, it's about truth, you know, and I knew it would cost us. And it did. We lost, you know, but guess what? We also have a ton of people that came out of darkness That's and right. they should say, wow, the second coming has been the second coming all along and we're going to face the Antichrist if the church is here at the time. And I don't mean the church, the church will be here at the time, but if we're here in the church at the time and still alive, we'll be facing the Antichrist. And we have a lot of grateful people because we're like, wow, now I know what the scriptures say. I'm actually supposed to watch for the signs that lead up to Christ's second coming, not sitting on a hill waiting for some invisible coming without signs. No, no, and, and it's true, but... It's interesting when I hear their arguments now that if I would have heard them six years ago, and I'm talking about, what, look at the videos. A lot of times they're trying to subtly answer a lot of the statements. So a lot of times, First, first Thessalonians, you get a lot of pre-trib teachers now admitting, well, it doesn't give us the timing. A lot of pre-tribbers that I've found now admit First Thessalonians chapter 4 does mention rapture. We agree with that. But it doesn't mention the timing. It doesn't mention a pre-trib rapture. A pre-trib rapture. Yeah. And it's specifically that text, as you said, being a great promise. And you you can you can just for yourself look at Timothy coming back to Paul saying, Hey, they're concerned about their loved ones that have died not going to be with the Lord. And so they've gone, they didn't endure to the end, they're not going to be with Christ because they died before he came back. And what is he comforting them with? Right. <laughs> the fact yeah. that he's going to be, they're right. going to be raised first. The only thing I would add to that, Chad, yeah. is that it does indeed mention the timing. Oh, that's true. One chapter later it specifically. Does, but I'm talking it, about four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, but it does mention the timing in respect yeah. to not pre-trib. What Paul's talking about we see is in a post-trib context. Yeah. And every every passage, when you look at every it, time. if it gives a time signature, if it gives a time stamp, and, uh, the time stamp's always in a post-trib context. So when we remember 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, then you get chapter 5, yep. verse 1. There's no chapter 5, verse 1 yep. in the original Greek. It was a letter. So you just keep reading after Paul talks about how the Lord will descend with a shout, you know, with the voice of the archangel, and we'll, the dead in Christ rise first, and we caught to meet him in the air. Then what does he go on to say? He says, now it's the times and the epochs, brethren. Times of what? Christ coming to, get, to catch up the believers, the harpazo, the rapture. Uh, you have no need anything be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's heavy because the scriptures are very clear that, and Paul will say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the next book, he says, he, he warns them not to be deceived because he says the day of the Lord, uh, the day of Christ or the day of the Lord, same day will not happen until the fall away happens first and the Antichrist is revealed. So we know the day of the Lord is after the Antichrist. And Paul says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. By the way, Paul is saying you don't need to be you don't I'm gonna tell you this, you know, but he's not gonna he's gonna have to spell it all out to him. Because actually Jesus talked about Jesus himself coming like a thief in the night. If I seem a little hurried today, because I know we want to get seven questions in and we'll get them all to you guys. So you might have to listen to this later on like 150 or 1.5, you know. I'm sorry, not 1.5, 1.75 or one or 0.5. Uh slow it down a little bit. So, but I'll say this. Uh the Apostle Paul talked about how this day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night, right? And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 that when he told his apostles, you know, Peter, James, John, right, Andrew, actually it's uh, uh, Peter, James, John, and those four specifically apostles of the early church, he said that he's coming, he told them to be watchful. He told them that you will see the tribulation if they were to live to that period of time. That's the leaders of the early church, right? 
after all he told talked to them about how he built his church at the gates of hell would prevail against it, Matthew 16, 18. I had already said to them in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18, about church discipline. If a brother doesn't repent, take it before, go to him privately, eventually take it before the church, he said. Now you're chapters later, Matthew chapter 24, they knew they're they know they're gonna leave the church. And Jesus says, uh, you know, you'll be handed over to tribulation. And he says, even great tribulation, and they'll kill you. And everybody agrees that's the future, is pre, mid, or post. We all agree that he's talking about the great tribulation period there. He says they'll be handed over, bro. So what's heavy about this is when Jesus says he'll come back for them, he says it's immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the powers of heaven will be shaken, you know, the stars will fall from heaven and so forth. They'll see the Son of Man coming in glory with you know, power and great glory. And he'll gather up his elect, right, from the four winds of heaven. But guess what? He went on to say not only would it be immediately after the tribulation, but he went on to say that, he, he says, and I'll, I'll quote him here, uh, right after he says that, he says, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would not have been, he would have been on the alert. It would not have been allowed the house to be broken into. So Jesus was already talking about his second coming to gather up his, his believers at the end of the tribulation, after the tribulation. He was already talking about that very clearly in the Olivet Discourse to his own apostles. Now Paul's an apostle, and Paul is talking about the word of the Lord here, right? And he says he's coming like a thief in the night. Now, this is what's interesting. Listen to the context, brothers and sisters. When Paul said, we'll be caught up to meet him in the air, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who remain, could be translated survive, we caught up to meet him in the air. He goes on to say, now it's time and season, brethren, or epoch, some translations, you have no need anything to be written to you, for yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, while they are saying peace and safety. Now, for the pre-traver, Oh, he's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be just an invisible secret coming. No, that's not what it says here. Listen carefully. They'll be saying peace and safety because the Antichrist will have made a a seven-year deal, right, Uh, with the many uh, claiming that to bring peace to the world. But it's going to be broken and Christ's going to come back. It says they will be saying peace and safety, then destruction. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. In other words, when Jesus Christ comes to bring destruction upon the wicked like a thief in the night, sudden destruction, that's not a secret pre-trib rapture. That's Jesus Christ coming back to bring destruction to the world when the world's saying peace and safety. That's the second coming of Christ. But notice what he says here. But you, brethren, not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. Now, the pre-trib would say, well, we're not going to be there. That's why we're not. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Uh, why did Paul say, but don't worry, folks. You know, you won't, you'll be gone for seven years before that even happens. No, because Paul recognizes the second coming is at the second coming. And that's when Jesus Christ comes back and we're caught up to meet him in the air. But you, brethren, not darkness, that that day, that uh, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of the light, sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. He goes on to say, not be getting drunk like those who get drunk, who get drunk at the night. Mm. Because we're children of the day. So he's warning about not falling away at that time and persevering in the faith. So, so Chad... It gives us a definite timestamp here. And, in chapter 5, yeah. And, and most commentators, most scholars understand that First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is the same thing he's talking about in chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. It's the same second coming. And, and you'll see no commentators that will take chapter 4, 13 through 18 about the rapture, emphasis on being caught up to meet the Lord there. Uh, you know, prior to John Darby and, uh, you know, others I mentioned in the Left Behind Led Astray video, uh, you'll see none in the in the in the early church period uh, saying 
This portion of scripture is actually fulfilled before the seven-year tribulation period in the secret rapture. Nobody translated that way. I should say nobody interpreted that way for uh, you know several hundred years. You know yeah. now it's a new newfangled doctrine, and we just warn you guys uh, that when Jesus comes like a thief in the night, uh, it's very clear Who that too. Yeah, <laughs> and just like in Revelation sixteen yeah. verse fifteen, Jesus says, "Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he that keeps his garments." So not so not walk in shame. Stays awake, keeps his garments. So not walk in shame. Men won't see his shame. That's the context of that's verse fifteen of chapter sixteen. That's the context of verse fourteen and sixteen, which sandwich that verse, which is talking all about Christ coming at Armageddon. That's when he comes like a thief. Or in Second Peter chapter three, when he comes like a thief, and there's this mass fire that takes place. I mean, things are melted down in the second coming in glory and the day of the Lord which a lot of us believe thousand years a day, days a thousand years, would include the millennial period, but begin at his second coming uh, at the end of the tribulation. I'll just say this much more since I've said this much on this one already. Uh, why don't I just mention this? Paul's very clear in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The very, and listen, listen carefully. Uh, I'm saying this to our audience. We love you guys. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Mm-hmm. Paul very clearly talks about how the church is being persecuted. Can't say he's not talking to the church there. And they're undergoing affliction, right? Not the great tribulation, but they're going through affliction, persecution. And he says that the Lord will give relief to us, the church. And he says when that relief will come. He says he'll give he'll, affliction for them, but guess what? Relief to you. And it's a noun, which is kind of interesting. It's not a, it's not a verb. He says he's going to give relief to the church when? Then he says when? When the Lord, not when. Well, now the pre-treasures say, oh yeah, he's going to bring relief seven years before the second coming, uh, right before the seven-year tribulation period. No, he says he'll give you relief when the Lord Jesus Christ, right, comes with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on all those that don't know God, that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The day he comes to be glorified in the saints. Same day when he comes to bring 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we just looked at 4 and 5, right? The rapture, he comes like a thief to bring sudden destruction upon the wicked. That's not a preacher rapture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he comes with his mighty angels in flaming fire, to bring vengeance on the wicked on the same day, it says, that he comes to bring relief to the church. Not, not seven years earlier relief, you know, seven years later, uh, he comes in fire. And then Chad knows this well. Many of you know this. Chapter 2 makes it so clear. <laughs> Concerning Christ's coming and our being gathered together to him, verse 1, that's rapture. He warns not to be deceived, to think that that day, he says, don't be deceived by any means, by, by word or prophecy, by a spirit, a demon. That day is not going to take place. Paul doesn't want you to be deceived on the timing. It won't take place, he says, until two events, and Paul says this, take place first. Ted, what are those two events? Falling away, yeah. and the Antichrist is revealed. Same way Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24. Falling away, Jesus said, the abomination of desolation. understand. Then immediately after tribulation, he comes. It's the same order. Yeah. The church is all jacked up. It's not an accident, by the way, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principles and powers, and Satan is pulling off a huge deception. So the church won't be ready to go through trials and no, tribulation. It's important. And and I know that took a long time for our shortest question to answer today. But <laughs> hint, this hint, is important. Brother Joe. <laughs> no, no, this is important. Uh, we're only 24 minutes in, so we're not too bad uh, for the first answer. But, but guys, I want to point this out. I saw some comments. I don't want to encourage you guys. Something that has taken place, and we got to see it, that it can seem like an attack when a simply a position is different than yours is brought up. And that has been a very common theme where people go, well, then don't discuss it at all. I'm sorry. When you have conference after conference, after teaching, after teaching, 
And that's never been considered an attack. That's pushing the preterm to come against the, when the that history was the new of the doctrine, church. How yeah. do you think post-trips felt when that first came about? No, one hundred percent. And that's exactly the point I was making. Is the fact is is that the church has taught something specific for, or not specific, but the church has not taught that for eighteen hundred years. Amen. Then it's taught, and then when you teach on it, and someone comes and rebuts that, I'm sorry, it's false teaching. We're not saying you aren't saved if you believe it. Yeah, we made that clear at the beginning of the show that we're it's an in-house debate, we're brothers, but it's still serious. It's very, But it's very serious. And here's the thing. Say, oh, well, that doesn't matter, just preach the gospel. Guys, the Bible is full of doctrine, and Jesus' longest discourse is right here on what we're talking about. So if you want to tell someone to be quiet about talking about these important things, then you probably should just close your Bible then because it talks about these things and it's really important. Well, you would have a hard time with Paul because Paul's <laughs> one says, don't be deceived to think that the rapture now, is going to take place before the falling away in the Antichrist. Paul says that in 2 Thessalonians 2. So when Paul says, don't be deceived by word or letter or spirit, uh, to think that that day is at hand or has come to pass and it won't happen until after the falling away in the Antichrist is revealed and then the Lord will come. Uh, by the way, he says, concerning Christ's coming are being gathered together to him. The word coming there is parousia, and that speaks of his coming. And Paul says these two events will happen first before, and it's not just his coming, it's his coming in relation to gathering the believers together. Verse 1, episunagoge, or synagogue there, episunagoge is in Hebrews uh, 10. So you have this this concerning Christ's uh, par, uh, parousia, coming, to, and are gathering together to him. Don't be deceived, these two events will happen first. There'll be the falling away, the Antichrist will reveal the temple. That's midway through the tribulation. He's revealed, so it has to be after the middle point, and then we know when it is. It's at the end of the tribulation when Christ comes back. We've been seeing that everywhere else, but also in verse 8. Just read a couple more verses down. And Paul says, The lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist, whom the Lord will slay with the appearance of Epiphania of his parousia, coming. Same word he just talked about in relation to gathering us together. That happens when he comes to destroy the Antichrist because that's when he comes and brings sudden destruction. Rapture, First Thessalonians 5, that comes when we get our relief. Second Thessalonians 1, on and on. And, and I'm going a little faster because we want to ask their questions, but we're also saying, hey, some pre-trips will say, well, you guys don't have scriptures either because they'll admit sometimes, yeah, we don't have any clear scriptures that say it, but, you know, this is what conclusion comes to. But you guys, we have a ton of scriptures that are just right there in your face, man. We don't, we're not looking at pre-trip scripture like says, well, actually, you know, he's going to come seven years to give you relief before the, before the second coming. We don't have anything like that, but we do have scriptures that say, when he comes to be, mar- you know, when he uh, when he he'll bring sudden destruction the same day he brings relief to the church. No, Amen. And this is this is important. This is why we're talking about it. And this, and this is segues why, into our next question, by the way. If you notice that, and it, and it does, it does really well because right here you're going to hear a clip as we already talked about this gaslighting that goes on eschatologically where if you believe anything like this, oh man, look at all these things that are going to happen. You want to get away from this. You got to run away from this. And you can hear it from them. This is exactly what they're saying. Right. And, right and by the here. way, when it says like preach the gospel, well, guess what? Some pre-tribs are making the pre-trib rapture part of the gospel now. This is scary. So uh, when you're, when people say preach, if they say hey, just preach the gospel, well, guess what? I mean, how much correction does Paul bring about the second coming of the Lord. How much correction does Jesus bring? You say, hey, Jesus, just preach the gospel. Don't talk about the timing of your coming. Don't warn us that it's not a secret coming because Jesus certainly said, don't, if they say he's in the secret chambers, don't believe it. We need these warnings, guys. We need them very strongly right now because these are the deceptions that Jesus warned about in the end times that would come that would get our eyes off of what he said would be the roadmap into the future. So I'll say this, Chad, I think this is important, is we're going to hear Jan Markell and Billy Crone tie being 
not going through the tribulation with the reason Jesus died is so we don't have to go through the seven-year tribulation. That's one of the reasons he's died. Ooh, that's scary when you start saying what you start adding to the gospel mm-hmm. things that are actually in the gospel. Uh, we'll yeah, let's let them hear it themselves. Yeah. You guys got to check, check this out. out. In this presentation, I heard Pastor Crone make an interesting statement. He said, Jesus didn't just save us from hell. He saved us from hell on earth, that being the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. That's what the Bible calls that seven-year time of hell on earth. Jesus will remove all born-again believers from the earth right before that time period begins. Basically, the picture is for those that turn to God in the seven-year tribulation, uh, you're going to be slaughtered like flies. Uh, There's a global persecution, uh, and if you want to avoid that, it's called get saved now, okay? So, Joe, as you mentioned um, before, he's saying this is a, I mean, this is part of their gospel message. It's, you know what, you also got to be saved from this, too. You know, you, you also have to be saved here. And this is what I mean by, by gaslighting. Look at all these horrible things. And guys, if you listen to that entire clip, he goes through, and I believe he does it wrongly and not rightly dividing the word of truth when it comes to the book of Revelation. Absolutely. But he goes through all of the judgments. Boom, 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 boom. How terrible they are, but you won't be here. Or how terrible this is for those tribulation saints and those people from Israel we really want to see saved. So they're cool to be here, but you're not because you're in the church age. Yeah. And, and so that's why I mean by, that's what I mean by eschatological gaslighting. Make people fear so much about this so that you wouldn't want to hold any other position. No, absolutely, Chad. And you know what? I'm going to try to answer this <laughs> in five or six minutes for you guys. Uh, this one deserves a lot of time too, but I think what I'm going to say will be point, poignant enough to uh, gather the importance of it is... When you start saying that Jesus died, uh, one of the reasons he died was so you don't have to go through the Great Tribulation period. It's already hard enough for pre-trips to find any verse, you know. I, I, I debated Dr. Stoffer in a Colorado at a pre-trib prophecy conference, prophecy news prophecy conference years ago, and I put a quote up from I was debating him, and I put quotes from leading pre-tribbers, admitting there's not a single verse that teaches the pre-trib rapture, and I actually put a quote up there from Dr. Stoffer. I was debating that said as much. Uh, so. Uh, it's hard enough to find a verse that teaches the pre-trib rapture. You can't find one. Uh, it's, you know, missing. <laughs> it's not in the scripture. However, try to find a scripture that says Jesus died so you don't have to go through the tribulation. You're not going to find that either. That's even harder. And you're adding to the gospel by doing this. And that's very dangerous. That's very... Now you're on the slippery slope from flammable heresy, which is a, a heresy where somebody could believe something that's not going to d- damn them, to a damnable heresy which can damn you and I don't, I'm not going to judge where it's at, but you start teaching people that Jesus died so you don't have to go through the tribulation period. That's really severe because we already, why do we call the faith movement, the prosperity movement, why do we call it a different gospel, Chad? Because they say that Jesus died so you could, one of the reasons, they, they say that Jesus died yeah. so you could never be sick, so you'll always be healthy, and so you'll be wealthy. And we say that's not the gospel. You're adding to the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I declare unto you the gospel by which you are being saved. You hold fast that which I first declared unto you. He defines the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. They was buried. And on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Right? We're supposed to hold this gospel fast. And Paul warned not to add to the gospel. Amen? Uh, and when you start saying, hey, this is why Jesus died, you start making things up that aren't in scripture. That's serious. Uh, it's really serious. Think of it this way. Uh, he, he died so you wouldn't have to go through the tribulation period. I remember after... Uh, I remember Kirk Cameron came, he came a few times to visit our fellowship, but he came right when the pre-trib movie left behind, he was the main star, um, forget the name of his character there, uh, I just said it when I was giving the Maghetto scenarios last Sunday at church, but uh, he plays Buck Williams, 
as a, a reporter for the Global Weekly, and and he witnesses the rapture, and, and then he's got to go through it because he becomes a tribulation saint, but he missed the pre-trib rapture. And I, and I remember him sharing with me because he'd seen, he'd heard some of my messages on it, and he switched, he got, he switched, he, I'm no longer pre-trib, you know, uh, after hearing the messages, he goes, it made me search the scriptures, and it's not there. He goes, and I just started this movie. The movie had just come out that weekend when we visited our church. And I thought, wow, that's pretty crazy. But one thing he said, which I think is interesting, he said, Joe, I was having a hard time, though, because I'm up there with, I think it was a Tim LaHaye, and they're on these circuits where they're speaking to thousands of people because this is Left Behind series. It was big at the time. The movie was going to come out. He says, we're telling people to come to Jesus so you don't have to go through the tribulation period. You'll never see that anywhere in Scripture. That's not how we preach the gospel. Come to Jesus so you don't have to go through the tribulation period. And to say, Jesus, and we see, and we heard not only from Jan Markell, but we also heard from Billy Crone uh, enunciating what she was emphasizing at the beginning. Yeah, and if we play the clip long, which we don't have time to play, you know, 20 minutes of stuff, is he's emphasizing that you need to come to Jesus so you don't have to go through this. Well, this is crazy because if you receive Jesus, you don't have to go through the Great Tribulation period. So what happens to believers who come to Jesus, Chad, during the tribulation? Is each of them automatically raptured right when they get saved? No, we don't see that anywhere, just like we don't see a pre-trib rapture. Uh, also, I'd have, like to say this. I think it's important. If you're telling people that, man, if you get saved, you know, God's going to save you from not only hell, but from going through the tribulation period, and all of a sudden they start going through the tribulation period, just like Jesus said the church would, okay? He warned his apostles they'd go through it. The church is warned over and over again. John said, you have heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many are in the world. They start going through it. What's going to happen to their faith? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen to many of, their, many of them. What happens when people that have been taught that you'll always be healed in the word faith movement, in the prosperity movement? There have been so many heartbroken uh, situations that just break your heart, you know? When you see believers that have been taught that lie and all of a sudden they get sick and they, they're wondering why they're not healed and then they think that they must not have saving faith. Or that God's a liar, Jesus is a liar, the Bible's not true, because I'm supposed to be healed because I have faith. It didn't happen. Well, they've been taught a false version of the gospel, and their faith gets shattered. It's shipwrecked. And that's one of the reasons we're so passionate about this. We're so concerned because Jesus said so much. He gave us the book of Revelation. He gave us all the discourse, which is recorded in Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24 and 25. We have 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. We have all these warnings, the book of Daniel, warnings as to what's going to happen in the end and how believers are to hold fast to the faith and not to be deceived regarding the timing of this whole thing and that there will be many that will fall away when the tribulation starts. How do many fall away when the tribulation starts if the Christian church has been taken? How is everybody, right when the tribulation starts, we're told that you'll be hated by all nations because of my name? Who's there to be hating on us? There's no church there according to the preacher of This does not fit any. It does not fit. But guess what? Why do many fall away? Because many are being told that God is evil if he'd let you go through this. Or God would be a wife beater, they're saying. That's what they're teaching. Many of these people are teaching that God would be like a wife beater. Uh, one of Jan Markell's conferences, man, they show a picture of Farrah Fawcett and all beat up and the movie that she played in is a battered wife. And everybody's cheering because we're told, God would never let this happen to you. He'd never, he'd never let you go through the tribulation. Everybody's cheering, amen, we're gonna get out of it. Well, guess what happens? As soon as you go to the tribulation, all of a sudden, now God's a wife beater, man. God's gonna beat up his bride. And how we know this is of great concern is in my debate with, with Doug Stoffer, which is free online if you go to YouTube and just type in the great uh, rapture debate with Stoffer and I, at the very end, you, I encourage you to watch the whole thing, but if you watch the very end, we go through one of the questions, why does it matter? And I quote, give you one quote after another from different people who say, if the preacher rapture doesn't happen and we have to go through tribulation, then God's a liar, then God's evil. Tim LaHaye himself, 
said that if he doesn't come back before the tribulation, then it's the blasted hope. Well, that's contrary to what the scriptures say in Romans 5, that tribulation worketh hope. That's contrary to what Jesus said when you see these things taking place, tribulation events, look up for your redemption is drawing near. We get greater hope when we know what the word says, but if you've been given a false hope, a preacher of rapture, you're told that that's part of the gospel, it is setting you up for apostasy. And that breaks our hearts. No, that's that's the biggest thing. And, and one of the things that we have emphasized, and we have another teaching on this that you can check out. So I don't want to go deep into this. We're 40 minutes in the teaching. We've gone through two clips. So I gotta get, we got to get some more. But I, I wanted to point out, we have an entire teaching so you guys can get a better understanding. We have what we call, when it comes to doctrines, damnable and flammable doctrines. Damnable doctrines are those doctrines which if you hold to those doctrines, you cannot be a brother in Christ. A flammable doctrine is one that we believe is false, but yet a brother can still hold to and still be a brother or sister in Christ. And we do believe that this falls under that category. People can teach things that are wrong and still be a brother or sister in Christ. So for those who are asking, I wanted to, to make that a point of emphasis. Yeah, let me, let me just tag onto that real yeah. quick. Uh, and we're talking about flammable versus damnable. Flammable, we're not we're not by any means saying they're not serious. Obviously, we're having doing a whole show on what we consider flammable doctrine. The reason we call it flammable instead of damnable is because someone could put their head on the pillow at night and believe in a preacher rapture, but they're still trusting Jesus. It's flammable in the sense that it can ignite and it can lead to apostasy. Hence the idea, for instance, a lot of people are once saved, always saved. They believe once they're saved, they're always saved no matter what. Now, you can believe that and still be trusting Jesus and following the Lord and, and abiding in Christ and it not be toxic to the point where you're, it destroys you. However, you could also say, ah, oh, you know what? Once I'm saved, I'm always saved, therefore I can do whatever I want. And, you know, as some of them say, you can open a whorehouse, you can worship the devil, you can do all these sorts of things, and then you're in for a rude awakening because that flammable heresy just transitioned into a damnable heresy because you took it to its nth degree. So a little more clarity there. No, yeah, it's really important for us to, to get that across. We're trying to do this as much in love, but now let's get to some of the arguments. As I said, a lot of this stuff are pictures that are painted and they do try to gaslight make people crazy to think any other position than the pre-trip position and any sort of dissent from the pre-trip position you're really just trying to cause division amongst brethren without even understanding that the entire time this is being taught it's doing that outside of scripture because it's just not found there but nonetheless I want to get to the the next argument that is made over and over again um, by multiple pre-trib. We're just using this as kind of a springboard. And all of these arguments are kind of the same. We hear them all the time. We'll have another episode on this a little later this month. But I, I want to get into this next clip that deals with specifically the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. Now, we're going to be playing a John MacArthur clip later, but that won't be in there. But that's how he starts the conversation we'll talk about. But this one, we're going back to Billy Crone for this one. Let's explain first, Billy Crone, what the fullness of the Gentiles means. And if I just have a succinct answer, we'll get to a lot more questions. But when that last Gentile, the fullness of Gentiles, this age right now that we call the church age, when that last person gets saved that only God knows, and we're out of here at the rapture, the seven-year tribulation begins, and God begins to focus on Israel again, which is one of the purposes of the seven-year tribulation. Yes. It has nothing to do with the church. The church is out of here. So, Joe, the church is out of here. Tribulation has nothing to do with the church. And once the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, that means, bam, now the rapture can happen. The last Gentile gets saved. And now it's time for Jacob's trouble. Yeah, the crazy thing is, Chad, uh, from a post-trip perspective, we're able to just believe what the early church taught for, you know, <laughs> the early church uh, taught up until 
the 19th century, right? That, that Christ comes back at the second coming. Uh, and by the way, before I ask this question, the church was pretty united. That you know, It was united that Jesus is coming back a second time, the second coming of Christ. There was no disunity for the most part. In, I, I know of any of the church creeds regarding Christ coming back at the second coming. It was when pre-trib came in and started saying, no, no, he's coming back seven years before that. He'll descend and we'll be caught up in... in and then there's that, that's really another second coming, which really make a third coming. That's what divided the church. What we're trying to do is reunite the church under the teaching of Jesus Christ, which he commanded us to do, by the way. And that's why uh, most of the letters in the New Testament are corrective. But when it comes to the fullness of Gentiles, Tad, we're able to go to really clear scriptures and say, look, immediately after the tribulation, he's made it clear. You know, you'll be raised on the last day. He made it clear. Uh, this, the first resurrection is after the tribulation. Revelation 20 makes it clear. Uh, he brings sudden destruction when... Right, he is glorified in his saints, and uh, or he brings sudden destruction when uh, he comes like a thief in the night. It's the same time to catch up believers. On and on and on. After the Antichrist, after the false, we can just show this over and over again in Scripture. Right? Pre-trips don't have any verses like that, but guess what? They do have, and it, they have a lot going for them this way. They have a lot of people that don't want to go through it, that want to hear something that would be some kind of escape hatch that feels good, that sounds good, that tickles ears. So this just go. I'll, I'll grab onto this. So you notice that Billy Crone isn't able to give clear scriptures that say say the Lord will rapture the church and we caught up before the tribulation period, right? So he has to go to a scripture like this that says, you know, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, you know, well, he takes that scripture and if you heard what he said and they were tying the fullness of the Gentiles coming in and then they add to an understanding that's not there. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and he says that last Gentile saved, what's going to happen, Chad? That's when the, that's when the rapture, rapture takes, takes place. place yeah. Then the seven-year tribulation starts. And, you know, seven years later, then there's the second coming. The problem with that is that's not what the context is, is at all about the harvest of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of Gentiles in Romans chapter 11 is talking about, yes, he's correct on this point. It's talking about those the last Gentiles coming in, all the Gentiles up to the last Gentiles coming in, and then the Lord's return. But look at the context now. See, now he doesn't give context. He's throws it out there. He doesn't say, and by the way, look, after the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then it says there'll be a pre-trib rapture. Because he has no verse like that. But look carefully. It's very clear throughout Scripture what the Scriptures say. First of all, it talks about the fullness of the Gentiles then coming in. We're talking about the harvest of the wheat. We're talking about the Lord's, the, the Gentile nations, the believers coming in, uh, and the gospel being preached throughout all the world, right? The Great Commission. Well, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talked about the tares and the wheat, right? And there'd be tares that we planted among the wheat, the true believers, right? Amen. And among the tares and the wheat, uh, you know, and I don't have time to get all into it other than to say this, that they go through a scenario where, you know, some of the landowners, uh, servants want to take the tares out early. He says, no, don't take them out early. Uh, let's harvest them all at the same time. So guess what? The wheat and the, the uh, uh, tares are harvested at the same time. And the angels are sent forth to gather his wheat. Amen. And the chaff is thrown into the fire. And Jesus says, when this takes place. When do these, and the wheat obviously doesn't just refer to Jewish believers, right? It refers to the world, the harvest, right? Because he says the field is the world there. It's not just the Jews. And what happens? He says, this happens at the end of the age. Not seven years before the end of the age. At the end of the age. That's when the fullness of Gentiles comes in. Then you go to Matthew 24. And Jesus is talking about uh, the, the tribulation period. And the disciples ask him, what will be the sign of your coming? You know, when will these things happen? I mean, the destruction of the temple. But what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Right? The end of the age again. The sign of his coming and the end of the age. They understood that he was coming back and there would be the end of the age. Well, guess what? 
He said to them, in answer to that, there'd be wars and rumors of wars, but the first thing he says is see to it that no one deceives you, right? He warns four times at least of deception going on. That's why we speak as we do, with passion, with a sense of urgency, because we're concerned about the church being deceived very, very sincerely. It breaks my heart continually, okay? So Jesus says, don't be deceived, but then he says, and he says, many will fall away at that time. He says something very interesting. He says, you'll hear of these things, these, you know, false Christs and false prophets, be all these things, right? But after he says there'll be wars and rumors of wars and, and you know, false prophets and so forth, he says, don't be alarmed. The end is not yet. The end of what's not yet? The end of the age isn't yet. Because he starts describing the tribulation period. But you know what he says? In verse 14, right in verse 9 through 12, he says, many will fall away. Verse 13, he says, he that endures the end will be saved. Verse 14, you know what he says? And this gospel of the kingdom would preach in all the world as a witness to all the nations, that's the fullness of the Gentiles, then the end will come. So the end, he takes them through tribulation, but the end's not yet. And he's talking about the end of the tribulation. That's context there. It doesn't happen until when? The gospel kingdom is preached in all the world's witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. Full of Gentiles comes in at the end of the tribulation. Then in Matthew 24, he gathers his elect. There's a gathering of the fullness of the Gentiles, right? From the four winds, right? From one end of uh, heaven to the farthest ends of the earth, Mark chapter 13. Dead in Christ and those who are caught up meet them in the air. Now it fits really well because you go a few chapters later, the last few verses, of Matthew chapter 24. Check this out. Matthew Or chapter 28, end of the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 28, he says, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me because he wants to give confidence to the church and the Great Commission. Then in verses 19 and 20, he says, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all the nations. There it is again, right? And he says, uh, baptize, Teaching them to observe all the things that have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what he says? Verse 20, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What are we seeing? Matthew 13, tears in the wheat. Uh, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 24, Gospel of the Kingdom, until the end of the age. Tears the wheat, end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20, Great Commission. Go and baptize and make disciples of all nations. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Not seven years before the end of the age, when Cronus put in the fullness of Gentiles coming in, at the very end of the age, which is at the second coming of Christ. And this is critical because in Matthew, or in Revelation chapter 9, 9 through 14, you have believers from every nation and people and kindred and tongue that are gathered from the nations in the book of Revelation. They're going through tribulation and they come from all the nations and the elder asked John, who are these? And John's like, you know, you know. And he says, these are those who came out of the great tribulation. I mean, they were in it. And he says that these of those he speaks were had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Boom! Right there, you see the Gentiles. The gospel continues. And we read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Same thing. You have the first angel out of three angels that preaches in the midheavens. What does he preach? <clears throat> the everlasting gospel to who? The nations, the peoples, and tongues. So the gospel is still getting preached throughout the tribulation period, brothers and sisters. And then right to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. He talks about how there's a flood. That God's not going to flood the world again, but he's going to use fire. And he says, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to what? Repentance. Then what does he say? Talk about hastening the coming of the day of God. Get off your rear ends and preach the gospel because he's, he may be waiting on that last Gentile. And then I'll close it by saying this, this last part is, he says, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now try to follow this. He wants everybody to come to repentance. So he's, that's why Christ hasn't come yet. He's waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. And then guess what he says? He's going to come like a thief right after that. And he says there'll be this cosmic meltdown because it'll be a second coming, and it's destruction again. Again, it's a second coming, not a preacher of rapture. Oh, you know what? 
I have to go, I have to read Romans 11, <clears throat> verses 25 through 27. And I got this itch in my throat that I'm battling because I'm willing to go through a little tribulation to communicate to you that we're going through the great tribulation if uh, we're still alive at that time. Romans 11, 25 through 27. Here's the actual passage that talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. They do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of a mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Thank you, bro. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is the fullness of the Gentiles that Corinne was dealing with. Now, just pay attention to the text, man. Just zone in and don't say, this is what I want it to be. Oh, I hope it's this. Say, what does the text actually say? There's been a partial heart in Israel uh, has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Those Gentile believers, those last believers. And so all Israel will be saved. Amen? Just as is written, the deliverer, listen to this, will come from Zion, who will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant when I take away their sins. So the fullness of Gentiles comes in. What, is, what happens? They're preacher rapture. And then seven years later, he comes for Israel? No. When the fullness of Gentiles comes in, thus saith the scripture, that's when he comes to save Israel. That's at the end of the tribulation. Even pre-tribs admit that's when he saves Israel at the end of the tribulation. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. Now you can have a sip of that Thank water you, there, Joe. <laughs> I just had to crawl that, through bro. my own little Jesus said. <laughs> tribulation to get to it. But nonetheless, uh, now we guys, this is this is really good because these things, Joe, can really sound good on the surface. And the Bible does say the first depletus case seems right until someone comes over and examines him. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to examine these teachings. Amen, and guys, whatever teachers we have up here, I'm letting you know, as I've watched, I watched 72 hours, I believe, of Dr. Doug Stoffer's teaching. Uh, I've watched a number of Jack Hibbs, guys that I really like, like Raul Reese and so forth. Um, John MacArthur on the subject. Um, I mean, really, list Tommy Ice. I mean, just go down the list, watched hours and hours and hours of these teachings. Some things are to defend the premillennial view, which I, I would also want to defend as well. Some is to defend the understanding that God still has a plan for Israel. Uh, that is something that I we are passionate about as a ministry as well. And so these things are important, but also when you hear these arguments, they are all very similar. So they help to give us a springboard. Now, some are very, can be, you know, unorthodox as well. You could have the teachings of Dr. Doug Stoffer that chops up the Bible and uh, does pulls a Marcion almost, but with the New Testament, this is not for us, this is not for us, this one's for us and so forth, but all of them do that to some degree. They have to, to get away from some of the clear texts that tease the post-trib rapture. But this next clip, Joe, deals with the idea of saints. And this is another clip with Billy Crone. Billy, you and I take a strong stand on behalf of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And I may dwell there for a moment or two here. And actually, I'm going to play a couple of sound bites and have you challenge the sound bites here in just a moment or two. But let me first say, People come back at us and say, but there are saints in the book of Revelation. Well, of course there are saints in the book of Revelation because that is the next time of revival. We hear now about revival coming or revival is here or come visit to our revival in such and such a city. And if that's happening, that's great. Happy to hear it. But the revival of all revivals, in spite of what's going to cost those folks, it's in the tribulation. So folks are seeing saint in there, and they come back at you and me. You see the churches in the tribulation. You will see there's actually four different saints mentioned in the Bible. There's Old Testament saints, 
There's New Testament saints, that would be you and I today, the church age. There's people who get saved in the seven-year tribulation, that is not the church, called tribulation saints. And actually, there is millennial saints, the saints that are in the millennial kingdom that happens after Jesus comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulation. So you can't just assume it's the church. You have to look at the context. And the context that these people are quoting, Jam, is not the church. It's the tribulation saints, those that get saved after the seven-year tribulation begins. They took it completely out of context. You know, before you even get into some of the statements there, it's just so interesting to see. I I know you applied this earlier as well. Get saved so that you won't have to face the tribulation and and so forth. But these tribulation saints that that they talk about, are they appointed to wrath? I mean, because I thought the promise that believers are not appointed to wrath Is that not universal? Oh, well, you know, you have to understand that that people are getting saved here. And now is it a different gospel for the people during the tribulation? Because did they not get the gospel that isn't appointed Mm -hmm. wrath? Or is God powerful enough to pour out his wrath as he has over and over again? Go read the Old Testament. I've seen the book. I've read the book of Exodus. And is he able to pour out his wrath? And I know this is not related completely to the topic, but it is. Um, I'll bring you back. You I mean, yeah, you'll, me you'll, you'll, you'll so wrote me back in here. But, and I'll get it back to the saints, but is God not powerful enough? Because that's what you're saying, yeah. that he it cannot relates. pour out his wrath without hitting someone else. Man, I know people that are good with a gun, and they can hit the right people, but we are talking about the God, the that's king right. of kings and lord of lords, and Amen. he's going to be like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just can't help myself. It's absolutely ridiculous. And once again, it's the eschatological gaslighting that takes place. Yeah. How could you believe? We're not appointed to wrath. God pours out his wrath. You're definitely going to get some. Well, where is that scripture? Yeah. I can't find it. The wrath of God is being revealed on all ungodliness as we speak, yeah. in fact. And I get hit with none of it because I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Which brings me also back to this idea where he seems to have all these different saints. And you got to really understand the saints and how saints in here aren't the church, which that's another argument, so we don't want to mess that up for, for later. <laughs> but but here's this idea of saints and, and what's going on here, Joe. Yeah, and I'm going to have to piggyback a little bit, bro. So you might have to rope me back in, in <laughs> No a problem. But, uh, but I will say this is that you make an excellent point. Uh, we talked about it earlier too, that, you know, if uh, the believers out there during the tribulation, if we're not appointed to wrath, well, what's going on there? Well, the the post the, the pre pre trip people like Tim LaHaye, author Left Behind series with Jenkins, he states in his pre trip study Bible prophecy study Bible that God will protect the tribulation saints from His wrath during the tribulation period. Really? Well, we believe that too. So why do you have to have a pre trip rapture then? Uh, he can't protect the church if it goes into it, but he could protect these millions and countless number of of, of tribulation saints. Uh, so that's one thing that I think that is worth thinking about. Uh, but I want to bring us back now to this question uh, as far as, well, it depends on how the word saints is used. Of course, there's saints mentioned in the, in the uh, well, it's like almost like it, that shouldn't be a shock. Well, the reason we emphasize it is because we're being told over and over again that the Christian church isn't in the tribulation period. And when we, you show evidences that it is, of course, pre-tribbers want to redefine who you're talking about. I, there's a there's thick irony in what Billy Crone was saying there. The thick irony is that he's saying, well, you have to understand uh, there's different saints, you know. So you have to understand there's four different types of saints and so forth. And you have to understand the context, and they're taken out of context. And it's like, wait a minute, Mr. Crone, you are taking it wildly out of context because you just said that these tribulation saints are the ones that got saved after the rapture. That's called eisegesis, uh, my friend. 
not exegesis, not exegesis, getting out from the text what the text says. You're reading the text. When you see saints, you're like reading the pre-trib rapture. Oh, they must have got saved after the tribulation period. There's no text he can go to and say, hey, look, there's all these kinds of people getting saved, and it says the rapture took place, but these people read the notes from their left-behind friends that were trying to tell about the preacher rapture, and they realized, oh, i got to get saved. You don't see any scriptures like that. yet. Uh, and I'm sad because he's actually doing the very things he's accusing post-tribs of doing. When we see, So if you can find the word saints and say, I mean, show us where it says saints just means those who got saved after the tribulation because he's... He's working off a presupposition that, that these are those who came to Christ after uh, the rapture. Well, how about uh, after a pre-trib rapture? But how about if these are the church, these are the Christians for the most part, and maybe, and hopefully believers too that got saved after the tribulation, but what if it's those of us who are reading Matthew 24 when Jesus says, I'm telling you these things ahead of time in Matthew 24, so when it takes place, you know, uh, you know, behold, I'm telling you these things in advance. What if it's for those he told in advance and that we're the saints too? Well, what we'd have to do to make sure we can under, can show the context of saints is show that the saints is used synonymously with the church. Amen? Chad, what are some... So if we can show who the saints are in the tribulation period, at least who some of them are, right? Uh, because we don't have a, a qualified as to, are these the Old Testament saints? Well, it doesn't, it's not the Old Testament times, so probably not. Uh, is it the millennial saints? Well, we're not the millennial during the tribulation, so probably not. So now you're left with two choices. It is either the church or Jews who get saved during the tribulation period, or those who get saved after the church is taken. So you're left with a, a few choices. But synonym for the church is, we say it all the time, pre-tribulation too. We love, pre and post, we love the, the fact that we're called the bride of Christ. Amen. Uh, but guess what? Are you saying, Joe, that the bride of Christ is identified as the saints, which is the church? Absolutely. Look at Revelation chapter 9, 19, verse 7. Before Christ's second coming, the church has been made ready for his second coming. And so the church is in the tribulation period, which we'll probably get back to with another question. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. Verse 7. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Made herself ready? Yeah, because it's going to talk about she'll be rewarded for all these good works she's been doing. Up to that point. She's finally ready. She's ready for his return. This is just now. If we saw this, I'm telling you right now, Chad. If we saw this in Revelation uh, chapter four, one a, before you know chapter four starts, or we saw it, it where it says, "And Christ's bride went, was made ready," and then we saw, uh, you know, then there was the, the Lord came back. Everybody say, "Yeah, that's the rapture." Well, guess what? It's not there, but guess where it is? Right here. The bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. Now listen to this. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Brothers and sisters, the saints are the bride. The bride is made up of the saints. Same group. So when you say, well, you have to understand the context. It's really talking about those. It's not talking about the bride, the church of Christ. It's talking about those who got saved after the pre-trib rapture. It's not showing that anywhere in Scripture. But we're actually able to say, hey, you know, guess what, Mr. Crone? And I pray, Lord, please help my pre-trib brothers and sisters to see this. And help those who are in high places who can lose a lot of money, lose a lot of uh, uh, people, help them put Jesus' words before popular doctrine and Johnny-come-lately doctrine. Because right here, it spells it out that the saints are the bride. The bride is made up of the saints. And also, we could go to the millennial period. It's who's in the millennium, we're not talking tribulation period, but since he brought it up, when Satan comes against in chapter 20, verse 9, when Satan comes against with the as the sand of the sea, right, comes against uh, Jerusalem. 
where the Lord is reigning. Who's the Lord reigning with, Chad, at the time? Who are, who's reigning? It's with his people, He's man. reigning with... Uh, well, the saints, yeah, the saints, of course. But the yeah. church, right? The church, yeah, We're going to reign with them for a thousand years. Well, yeah. guess what? When Satan circles and circles their camp, he circles the camp of the saints. Yeah. It says saints, the church, the saints. Well, there's going to be Jews there too. I have no problem with having Jewish believers along with the church as called saints because I do believe God has a plan for Israel. But don't say the church isn't there. Don't say that the saints are not the church. That contradicts the word of God. And worship, man, post-tribs, man, you should realize if you if you got a post-trib position, you're sitting pretty, man, because there's so much clear scripture on this. It's the pre-tribs that have to, they can't find scriptures, so they have to make these things up. And when we look at the context of what they're saying, we look at the things they're using in context, it militates against their very positions and it actually helps our position. No, no, it's true. And and this is something that, you know, I'll, I'll be frank with you guys. I was not newer to the ministry, but newer to teaching on eschatology. And when we worked on uh, specifically Left Mind and Led Astray, the amount of emails that came in regarding the pre-trib, post-trib argument were just ad nauseum. And so I found myself heaped into the middle of the argument with a lot of different people. And discussing these things over and over it was very quick for me to realize, wow, this is really interesting because the person I'm talking to with any other core doctrine of the Christian faith, with any doctrine of the Christian faith, would not adhere to shadow games and arguments from silence, but that has been just, it's part and parcel with the position. And it's really sad, but that's something that I realized immediately. Well, this Jewish style of wedding feast, this is what would take place and so forth. And I'm like, is this really what you're going after to try to make your argument? Because I can show you plenty of Jewish wedding feasts that give me only a post-trib understanding and so forth. But I wouldn't do that anyways unless I was grasping at straws, which is what takes place. And there's really nothing there. And so... You're going to hear this. The that was that's something that has been very common, but here you guys get to hear the argument from silence. And so the, here is an argument from silence from none other than John MacArthur. In the book of Revelation, the church appears in chapter one on earth. The church appears in chapter two on earth. Seven. Churches are described in chapter 2 and chapter 3, local churches in Asia Minor. The church is there. Starting in chapter 4, the church never appears again. The Word never appears again in the book of Revelation right through to the return of Christ in chapter 19. Now, Joe, I'm going to I'm gonna give you a second here because I know you probably want to jump on that real quick. But... <laughs> But uh, Jack Hibbs right here kind of piggybacks on the same thing. Not that he piggybacks like they were talking, but says the same argument. He just adds in a text to try to prove that point of the rapture with it. But it's the same argument. The church isn't there after chapter 3. You guys can hear it right here. Chapter 4, verse 1. After these things, I, that's John speaking, looked and behold a door standing open in heaven now why would someone open a door in heaven and john is being spoken to well let's see and a voice the first voice which i john heard was like a trumpet i find that interesting talking with me saying come up here spoken to john and i will show you things which must take place after this after what after you come up here. A tremendous statement. 
And from this point on, church, there's no presence on earth of the bride of Christ or the church. From John chapter, or excuse me, Revelation chapter four, verse one, the church is never again seen on earth. Did you know that? Until Revelation chapter 19, she is discovered to be in heaven. How'd that happen? Come up here. So, okay, Joe, before you answer the, because we really want to dig into the specifics of the church not being there. And I know you answered that a bit already, dealing with the saints and so forth, because they were already trying to answer that statement for their argumentation. But we have a slide that I want to pull up right here that was supposed to be for your debate with Dr. Doug Stoffer. Yeah, this is so much meat I left in the and, bone that I never got to. That was one of the deals. Don't worry, guys, because <laughs> we are going to make use of this over over the next few years. I'm sure we could do that. But I want to look at this, and I feel bad because there is a clip, but we're not going to play it. But it's very interesting about Jack Hibbs in that same teaching later equates the post-trib rapture as a yo-yo. And it's really interesting because I was laughing about it. I said, Tony, you could make a video of him, but all the times were John, because John, come up hither, which is we usually hear from the King James, right? Come up here. And we see Jacob saying, hey, this is the church rapture because John goes up. But then you have Revelation 10.8. He's down. You have Revelation 15.2. He's up. I mean, he's on he, the earth again. He's on he's the earth again. He's on earth again. Then he's back what? Revelation 15.2. Back in heaven. Revelation 17, 1. He's back on earth. So if John is a picture of the rapture in chapter 4, verse 1, then if you want to talk about some yo-yo eschatology, I mean, look yeah. at it, guys. And I hope this graphic, take it, use it. Just make sure you put good fight on it because this is hilarious to me because, Joe, and I, don't, I know you didn't get to see that part of it because we were going to play that clip because Tommy was laughing. He's like, does he not realize what's going on here? Yeah. This yo-yo eschatology, realizing, imagine taking John, going to earth and be like, well, this is the church, not realizing that, guess what? So you made John the church, right? Yeah. In 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 four one, yeah. And then you say, oh, look, the church is in Revelation 19 here. That's the next time you see it. But all these other times where John is moving up and down, it's not the church anymore. Just an absolute obliteration of the text. And when I say shadow games... This is exactly what I'm talking about because this sort of nonsense would never play if you were making an argument for the Trinity. It would never play if we were doing by faith alone yeah, and amen. so forth. We would never do something like this. Yeah. And if somebody did, we would take him to it task shows you for the desperation it. they're in, you know. You uh, said the word. That's what I was Because they don't have clear scripture. So, they have to, so when I, I, and I credit uh, Tony for making yes, that that's graphic Tony. for me because I told Tony, I gave him the scriptures. And I said, hey, Tony. And by the way, that's why you want to read the Word. You want to study the Word on your own, and you want to be studied up and make sure you're reading the Word because I've spent several years, uh, you know, maybe close to 15 years going through the book of Revelation, uh, verse by verse, two different studies. And when you become very aware, of, like uh, when, you know, the FBI or, or, you know, bankers are taught how to discover uh, fake $100 bills, they look at the real, the genuine article, then they see the... So as soon as I see 4-1, oh, that's the... That's John. He hears the trumpet. He's being caught up, and that's the picture of the rapture. Right away, I'm like, mm -mm, you guys aren't studying the book of Revelation very well because John is all over the place. If he represents the church, he's caught up. And I gave Tony, hey, Tony, here he's on earth. Here he's back in heaven. Here he's on earth. Here he's back in heaven. Here he's on earth. So if he is a picture of the church, as Chad is saying, then you got a yo-yo thing going on. In fact, by the way, what, what do you do with a yo-yo? Do you go up and then down? Well, we believe 
No, that's not what you do with yo-yo. We believe we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air as he descends with the shout and those dead who are alive are caught in the air and then he'll continue descending. Somebody's going back and forth. Either Jesus is coming down and going back up, which is pre-trib, right? Or we're going up and back down. What? So either way, somebody's going two different directions. Okay, so you either got, but the yo-yo would be down and up. That's the pre-trib rapture. That would be Jesus coming down and going back up. But we don't say, oh, you're making Jesus a yo-yo because we don't need to go there, man, because we have so many clear scriptures. So what we're saying is, hey, guess what? If you're going to say John represents the church, uh, Revelation chapter 17, uh, you know, John's told by the angel, come with me, let me show you this. Now he's back on earth and he sees the woman sitting on the many waters represent the great, the multitudes of the people. So he's back and forth. So it's not, it's not consistent to say that John would be the church there. By the way, you notice he said, I think it's interesting. There's a trumpet there. Because a lot of pre-tribs will say that's <laughs> yes, the last yes. trumpet. Paul says that the last trumpet will be caught. Will be the, uh, at the last trumpet will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Right, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, uh, verses fifty through fifty-four. There specifically fifty through fifty-two, and yeah, at the last trumpet, Mister Hibbs, that's not the last trumpet. <laughs> in fact, that's not even a trumpet right there, guys. Think about it. He hears a voice that was sounded like a trumpet. It's not even a trumpet. But when we're caught up. It'll be the. It, it, it tells us. You know, First Corinthians 15. Uh, the trumpet, you know, the Jesus says trumpet. there'll be the sound of a great trumpet. It's actual, can you imagine God's trumpet blowing in the, it, the world's ear? It's not a secret rapture, by the way. It's very loud. It's at the end of, and it's appearing, man. It's amazing. So it's kind of crazy when you think about that. And then also when you uh, get to understanding that, hey, uh, by the way, when he says, oh, the church is in heaven in Revelation 19. Really? We just read the text. It doesn't say it's in heaven. It says his bride has made herself ready. And mm. how does she make herself ready? By her good works. Ready for what? The marriage supper, the marriage of the Lamb. The pre-tribs have the marriage of the Lamb seven years earlier, beginning of the tribulation period. Most pre-tribs say, oh, that's we're going to go and party in heaven while the Jews are being slaughtered. We're just going to be living it up and party time, praise God. Well, they're all getting slaughtered? I don't think so. I see the saints under the altar, Revelation 6, crying out to God, how long until you avenge our blood of those who dwell on the earth, those who've their souls under the altar. They're crying out. They haven't been resurrected yet. Says their souls are given robes. They're waiting the resurrection, but they're weeping in heaven. So you have the marriage of the Lamb, not seven years earlier, when when the bride has finally made herself ready in Revelation nineteen seven through nine, and then verse eleven. Guess what happens? Jesus Christ comes back, right? Then he sees him on a white horse coming for his bride. So it's very very clear. Uh, by the way, I mentioned this passage earlier, but I'll mention it again in this context of this question: is is the whole thing about you know all the churches? How come it's not there? You'd be hard-pressed to find ver uh, uh, better descriptions of the church throughout the New Testament than you find in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 14, where it's a description. If, if I'm telling you, if I'm, describing, if I'm describing the Jews, I would describe maybe 12 tribes, 140,000, Revelation chapter 7 verses, you know, first several verses. Jews are there for sure. Israel's there. But who would I be describing now, Chad? Tell me if I'm describing the Jews or tell me if I'm describing an AA meeting or something else. People from all over the world, from every nation and people and tongue, that have been cleansed by Christ's blood. Who am I describing? Uh, that would be the church. That Joe. would be the church. And that's in <laughs> Revelation 7, 9 through 14, guys. Uh, the church is there, most definitely. And by the way, we already see the saints is also the bride. The bride's the saints. So we see the saints being persecuted earlier in Revelation 19. Uh, it's, on, it's incumbent upon the pre-trib to prove that that's not the church. Uh, by the way, Revelation 1, 4. Since they're using Revelation 4.1, misusing it. Revelation 1.4, it says, John, Jesus addresses this letter to the churches, to the seven churches, which are in Asia Minor. 
right? And not just the seven churches, because at the end of each church, in yeah. Revelation 2 and 3, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's addressed to the churches in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter. Jesus says, these are the things I testify in the churches. Uh, some preachers say, oh, when you read Revelation, you're reading somebody else's mail, it's not really to the church. Really? It's actually addressed to the church, you know? In fact, it's a crime to take mail that belongs to someone else, for sure. But this mail is addressed to the church. If you're a Christian, it's addressed to you. So I think it's important that we keep these things in mind. And I think one of the heaviest, and we don't have time to develop this, sometime we'll do a whole show on this maybe, is when you look at the warnings and the promises to Re- Revelation 2 and 3 to the seven churches, all you have to do if you study the book of Revelation, and, if, and it, you don't have to study in depth like I, I have over and over again, you'll see that those promises and warnings are brought up over and over again throughout many of them throughout the tribulation period. Mm. And for instance, the church of Sardis, he tells them that because, you know, they soiled their garments, you know, uh, he warns them, I'll come upon you like a thief. Later on, Revelation 16, 15, in the context of Armageddon, you better keep your garments. I'll come like a thief. So those warnings to the church and promises, chapter two and three, and this is a very important point, are tied into the warnings and promises throughout the best book of Revelation, showing that it is a book that is to the church to warn us of what's perseverance, to yeah. and to persevere in the faith. No, and I, I just want to add this, you know, more more ecclesiolo- uh, ecclesiology in terms of the history there, too. When you think of the seven churches, the, these letters were written to those seven churches, and I think outside of Thyatira, and there's a reason I think God had a specific meaning for Thyatira and so forth. They were written to major, major churches that would be able to disseminate these letters that were written, the entire letter, the entire book of Revelation, so that, as he said, at the end of every letter— Anybody who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. And you think about, they wanted them to be disseminated throughout, That's right. everywhere, for a reason. Because everyone needed this message to persevere. And so we actually find in church history that that's a fact. That the book of Revelation was a very popular book because guess what? It went to these big giant churches and got the word out. And it's very interesting when we look at it from that perspective, recognizing that God wanted this book in our hands to tell us to persevere, not to give us a letter about the terrible things that will happen to your tribulation saint brothers. Okay, These letters were given to us. Anyone who has an ear, do you have an ear? Guess what? You should be reading the book of Revelation because you're missing out on the blessing that the book of Revelation is that is promised in the very first amen at the very beginning of the entire the introduction of the book is that you will be blessed by reading it not simply the people you can read about these this horror tale of what's going to happen instead of you being there and being god's people there on the earth that he promises will be there and the perseverance of the saints is what we get it twice right in the book of revelation and one time what does it say that those some will be going to the hills and some will be killed that's the perseverance yeah. And by the, the way, Revelation yeah. 1 3 blesses he that readeth, and it's addressed to the churches, he that readeth and hears and keeps the words of this prophecy. How would you keep the words of a prophecy that had nothing to do with you? Makes no sense. No, it's true. Amen. And so, Joe, we try to get through a few different arguments, and we actually we want to encourage you guys. Um, I think we got six out of seven. We got we're gonna we're gonna do one more because we, we got it, it we got that. it right. We'll, we'll get all seven in. We're already Good. over the time, so it's okay. Um, and you, you guys, hopefully. Uh, don't put us through too much tribulation for making you stay uh, long and, and enduring till the end with us. But nonetheless, no more jokes for me. We will get right into uh, this next argumentation. But I wanted to let you guys know that we actually are going to couple just a couple different arguments uh, for a future show that'll be in the next coming weeks. I am going out of town. I have my 10 year anniversary coming up. So I will be out of town. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. 
Uh, and uh, I'm excited. So I won't be here for one of the shows. And I want to be here for that because as you can tell, I get excited about this stuff. So I don't want to miss it. But we will be doing a show for you guys soon, specifically on a couple different arguments. I don't want to give them away just yet. Yes, I will. Revelation 3.10. But nonetheless, all right, this last one, Joe, I find interesting, uh, especially with some of the dispensational teachers and so forth. But this one comes right out of Luke 21. If you guys want to look up the Olivet Discourse, it is Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke 21. So that's what we're going to look at, Joe. Luke 21, according to, to Jack Hibbs, actually teaches us the pre-trib rapture. Let's go. 2136, Jesus says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy. Stop right there. I said it earlier today. How in the world could you possibly ever be worthy enough? There's only one way to be worthy. The Bible makes it clear. You to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, put your faith in him and believe what he did for you at the cross was all sufficient. And by you putting your trust in him, he applies to you his righteousness. Can I put it this way? His worthiness is placed on you. Why is that important? Because it says, worthy to escape. Look, church, some of the things that are gonna come, half the things that are gonna come. No, what does the verse say? All these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That answers to the promise that Jesus is saying, I'm gonna come get you. I'm gonna pick you up and meet you in the air. It answers to what the Apostle Paul says. There's gonna be a trumpet blast, the shout of the archangel, and the voice of God, and we'll meet the Lord in the air. That will happen at the last trumpet, Jack. And uh, nonetheless, Joe, uh, the text, which I, I found he was reading a very interesting translation there as well, uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, this text, Joe, worthy to escape, worthy to escape. Is that what's being taught there in Luke 21? I've, I've got a few things I've got to share that just, oh, man. Uh, first of all, Mr. Hibbs, I love you, man, but keep your hands off of passages that are for the tribulation saints. <laughs> That's all of a discourse. That's Luke 21. That's the same as Matthew 24, 25, and Mark 13. That's what we're constantly being told isn't for us as a church. He's reading text from even toward the end of the Olivet Discourse, which remember, this is when Jesus said to his apostles, when they asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? This is, you know, important to understand the context. Jesus says, you know, they're going to be hated by all nations because of my namesake. They're going to kill you. You're going to be handed over to tribulation. When you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, Flee. Remember, they say, oh, that's not for us, man. That, that's for the Jews and for those who come to Christ after the rapture. Yet here we have Mr. Hibbs, Jack Hibbs, using that passage when he says it's not addressed to us. But this is, this is why I think it's interesting. There, again, it shows a desperation. Most pre-tribs don't use that, by the way, because they realize, oh, by using that, we're actually, we don't believe that's actually to us. So we don't actually go to the discourse typically. Some of them will. And when they do, I'm like, mm-mm, ah, that's our text, right? That's, that's not for you, right? Uh, but then all of a sudden they're using it. Wait a minute. That's written to those who are going through tribulations, the context, Chad. And I think it's very important. In fact, let, let me read it from the New American Standard Version. Uh, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. These are things he's talking about escaping. 
right? And that the day will not come suddenly, uh, the day not come on you suddenly like a trap. Remember, after Jesus said in Matthew 24, he's coming immediately after the tribulation, then he went on to warn about coming like a thief and the, 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 the wise man would board up his house so he doesn't get destroyed. When the thief comes, he want to be ready. We don't want to be drunk. like We don't want to be like the 10 virgins that fall asleep and five wake up with no oil and they're not ready, you know? And Jesus says, if when he comes back immediately after the tribulation, he said in Matthew 24, Mark 13, he talks about how uh, those who are getting drunk, you know, that it will be cut in pieces. That's in Matthew 24, cut in pieces and put with the, um, put with the uh, hypocrites. So he's warning that we don't, we don't fall into a slumber because Revelation 18.4, God says to us, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. So we have, that's when Paul said that we're to be children of light, not getting drunk like the drunkards that get drunk at night uh, because we don't want to come upon us like a thief again. Uh, but we want to be children of light and it won't overtake us like a thief, right? Because we're children of the light and not children of the night. So listen to this. He says, drunkenness, the words of life, that that day not come on you, that that day not come on you suddenly like a trap, meaning in judgment instead of salvation, right? But he's not talking about a preacher of rapture here. He's talking about going through the tribulation. When you read Luke 21, it's just like Mark 13 and Matthew 24 and 25. It's describing the tribulation period and the second coming at the end of the age or immediately after the tribulation. For it will come upon all, now listen to this, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Okay? It's not talking about preacher rapture, right? But keep on the alert at all times. Praying, now this is very important, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. Now isn't that interesting, Chad? Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. <laughs> that doesn't fit a preacher of rapture. That you doesn't fit what Jack Gibbs said at all, Joe. No, because you don't need <laughs> strength in the preacher of rapture. You don't, they're not jumping with your legs. Oh, I can hopefully get up to Jesus, you know? No. What do they need strength to have? Jesus said, pray that you don't enter temptation. Amen. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need to have strength to go through those trials and not succumb to Satan's temptation. In fact, it's interesting. The Greek word, he says, but, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. And now it's interesting what things he's talking about. Getting drunk with the drunkards, right? Freaking out because of worry because you're not looking for the Lord's return and looking at the signs, right? And it comes upon you suddenly like a trap because you're caught as a drunkard, you know, partying or whatever. But you have strength. That means you're enduring, you're persevering through something. And the word escape, by the way, is from the Greek word ekfugo. Uh, ekfugo is how you probably pronounce it best with that kind of a Y sound after yeah. ekfugo. And that, that word ekfugo is not in the passive, Chad, or something that God does to us. It's in the active voice, meaning we're having the strength to escape. We were empowered by his Holy Spirit to escape. But we're actually taking the action. We're actually escaping these things by not succumbing to the temptations. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength uh, to escape active voice, all these things that are about to take place. Now check this out. And to stand before the Son of Man. Woo! What's that talking about? That's talking about a second coming at the end of the tribulation. Just read Luke 21, the entire chapter. Read it in context because just before he says this, let me read verses that come before it. He's talking about, this is in Matthew 24, which say immediately after the tribulation, right before it says it. So it's in a poster of context. He says in verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. That's after the tribulation. And on the earth, dismay among nations and perplexity and roaring of the sea and the waves. No, we're, no wonder we're not supposed to be fainting because listen to verse 26. Men fainting from fear and expectation of things which are coming upon the world. Okay? He's talking about seeing these things that are coming upon the world and not freaking out. 
for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, check this out, then they will see the Son of Man come in the clouds with power and great glory. Not a secret rapture, something we see with power and great glory, his second coming. And everybody interprets verse 27 of Luke 21, pre-minute post, at the second coming of Christ, not a preacher of rapture. Uh, verse 28, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, uh, you see it and know for yourselves that the summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize the kingdom of heaven is, or the kingdom of God is near. What's he saying, Chad? You're going to be seeing these tribulation events. Like, like a fig tree, when it begins to blossom, man, you know that summer is near. And by the way, these passages aren't supposed to be for, for the, the church, they say. Well, guess what? If you're going to use verses that come after it, when he's talking to the same people, after he says you're going to see these things during the tribulation period, you, what God's doing together, let no man separate. He goes on to say in verse 35, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, in the verses that follow, you know, verse 34 through 36, be on your guard. That's when he says that they'd escape these things and stand before the Son of Man. That's a key too. You, that you have the strength to escape these the, the you know, drunkenness, the worries of this life, and stand before the Son of Man. What's the context? Back up a few verses. Jesus comes as the Son of Man, and everybody sees him. And according to when you do a harmony of the Gospels with Matthew, Mark, and Luke on the all the discourse, it's immediately after the tribulation period. So that's exactly what he's talking about. Uh, by the way, the word ekfugo is only used a handful of times in the New Testament. It's used a few times by Luke, but guess how Luke uses that word? He uses it of Paul, for instance, uh, or Paul being thought along with Silas to uh, be getting out of a, a, a jailer believing that Paul and Silas had escaped from prison. Remember, what shall we do to be saved? You know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 27, he's believed that they've escaped, ekfugo. What's the point there? He believes they've escaped from some, a place they've already what? They've already been. It's also used of, in by Luke again, same author that wrote Luke 21. It's used also, and that's in a Luke in Acts chapter 19, verse 16, of the seven sons of Sceva trying to perform an exorcism and fleeing, right? Fleeing the house of the demoniac in Acts chapter 19. So they were in the house, they escaped, okay? Um, it's used again, as I mentioned, by Luke of, uh, we just underscored that one, of them thinking they came out of prison. So obviously if you're escaping in this context, right? You're escaping out of these things. If you want to apply it to the tribulation period, that also would imply they were first in the tribulation period, having seen those things, and escape only happens ultimately, and it's not a trap for them, and ultimately it is an escape in that way too. They stand before the Lord at his second coming. So all these things are, are misused, and it breaks my heart. We love we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for them constantly. Uh, I've talked to a lot of pre-tribs through the years, and we have great conversations, and I've seen a lot of them become post-trib. Uh, and we just uh, love you. If you're pre-trib, we love you still. We just are letting you know that we're, we're concerned about what's going to happen because when the tribulation starts, we read in Matthew 24, many will fall away. And I think, Chad, why it's so important is because Jesus specifically tells us in John 15 and 16 that as believers, we need to abide in Christ. If a branch that's in him does not remain or abide in him, the Greek word is meno, he's cast forth a branch, thrown in the fire, and burn, and he goes on to say that if they persecuted me and I'm the master, how much are they going to persecute you? He goes on to say they're going to put you to death thinking they're doing God's service. But he says, I'm telling you these things ahead of time. So if these things take place, you won't fall away. 
So Jesus specifically warns us that we have to persevere. We have to abide. We're going to go through great persecution. So when it happens, we won't fall away. But what happens in Matthew 24? He says many will fall away. Why? Well, Matthew 24, 25, 24 and 25, he says false Christ and false prophets will arise showing great signs and wonders. What's their objective? They'll deceive, if possible, even the very elect of God, right? Then he says, behold, I've warned you in advance. So guess what? Pre-trib say, oh, no, he's not warned us about that tribulation period. That's not for us. So they're not being warned. So when these things take place, bam, they've been told, many of them, that, hey, when you come to Jesus, he saved you. He died for you, so you won't have to go through the tribulation period. Now you're going through it. And you've also been taught by leaders in the movement, like Tim LaHaye, that if he doesn't show up at the beginning, it's a blast of hope. Therefore, no wonder so many people's hearts fail them for fear of things coming on the earth because they don't just feel they're going through it, but now they're angry at God because he's left them behind. He's left everybody behind in their minds. And that's what the church is being set up for. This is preparing for the great apostasy. I often call this, and I've been calling this for years, a recipe for apostasy. The teaching that, oh, you really can't fall away. If you do fall away, you're still saved. And by the way, we're not going to go through those trials to even have a chance of falling away. Ooh, that's unscriptural, unbiblical. Those who hold to it, we love you, but we pray uh, people be delivered from that. And we're also going to warn that it's a deception based on the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. And one thing I, I like to say, too, and I know Joe, Joe says this, and, and my wife, we've talked about this a lot, is if you're a brother or sister in Christ who is post-trib, be loving to those who are also pre-trib that disagree with you. And it's sometimes just good for them to hear the other side of the argument because if they have been in Calvary chapels or so forth, which we do believe a lot of them are brethren in there, if they've been in there their whole life, they've been enamored with this teaching and any thought of the other side is just looney tunes to them. So we need to show that and express that be truth. Be patient, be prayerful, be loving. And you want to you want to leave in a situation where when these things come, if they happen in our lifetime, they can look back and remember there was a brother or sister in Christ who loved the Lord who did tell me about this and that this might just happen to us. So I just want to encourage you with that. We love you guys. God bless you. God bless. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.